Interior penance is the intense sorrow of your heart, number one, and number two, a radical reorientation of your life. Welcome to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. I'm Mike Gomer Gormley, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Dave, the Wolf of Main Street, Van Vickle. How you doing today, Dave? The wo- That's so ridiculous. <laughs> How long have you been thinking about think, that? When I think, well, I, I just recorded an episode about greed and... Oh, that's <laughs> funny. ...last you, night, and so we used the Wolf of Wall do, Street, do you which know is what a terrible ha- movie. Do you know yeah. what happened was uh, I, I walked into, I went to a store, uh, and the owners are listeners, and they were like, okay, let's see. We have to come up with a name for you, right? That's what we're supposed to do uh, because they like they listen to the to the podcast. So I think that's funny. I literally have people at my church who will send give me you. emails and they'll say, <laughs> I really love. No, they only, they only give it to you. They only give you nicknames. So they'll put like, I really love listening to you and Dave, you know, yeah, too hot right. to handle, too cold, the whole Van Vickle. Right, like, right. Oh, that makes my heart happy. That makes That's my funny. heart happy. What do you yeah. have going on right now? What's I mean, are you like busy for Advent or no? Uh, Yes, yes. I just got back from a wonderful trip out to Newark area. Um, do you remember our friend John Drizaldi whose text messages you never respond to? Wow, that was, that was cold. Yeah, I it love was. John Drizaldi. It was. It was. Well, he. I was in an area, I was like two minutes from where he went to high school um, in New Jersey, and I did an event. It was pretty cool. I did a talk for middle schoolers at a Catholic school on uh, pornography. And whenever you do a talk for middle schoolers, it's always uh, such a thin line because some of them can be super innocent and some of them can be lost in pornography. Totally. And you can't address the lost in pornography kids in a way that damages the innocence of the other kids. Right. And so you always have to approach it from some angle. So some will do, you know, like internet safety. Yeah, right, right. Good pictures, bad pictures kind of thing. Um, <laughs> right. But uh, have you heard of that the book, Good Pictures, Bad Pictures? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, excellent book. It really is. Everyone, if you have little kids, get that book. Um, but then, uh, so the way I approached it was how to have wonderful, beautiful relationships. Okay. And it okay. was kind of the going through Carol Voitia's love and responsibility with the whole people want to be loved, not used. And right. then you pivot that to uh, pornography. And it was funny because when I would say pornography, the eighth graders would like giggle. And I'm right. like, oh, okay, okay. Right. And then the sixth graders were like, huh? So right. that made me happy that at least sixth graders are pure as do you know? Snow. Do you know what I always do? Because well, <laughs> I, I do a lot of them here in the diocese. Like, when the teachers don't want to do it, I do. And I stole something from our friend, Brian Kissinger. Oh yeah. I'll like walk into the classroom and I will not smile at all. And I'll just like, I'll be like huffing and puffing, just angry, like, like making them think I'm so angry and I'll turn around. I'll be like, listen, we're talking about something really serious today. And I don't, I don't even want to see a smirk on your face. And I'll say like, if I even see so much as a smirk, I promise you, I'm going to throw you right out of this class. Do you understand me? And they'll be so scared, right? Because I'm a big, scary guy, okay? Yeah, you are. And so I'll go up and I'll like, this is what we're going to talk about. And I'll write on the board, S-E-K-S. And, <laughs> and I'll turn around. And and they'll be like looking at each other. And like one of them will kind of like smile. It's like, oh, I told you not to smile, right? <laughs> and uh, they're like, but Mr. Van Vickle, you spelled this wrong. And I'm like, don't you tell me how to spell it. You know, so, so it like totally 
breaks the ice, you know, at the beginning oh, of that. Oh, man. That but, is awesome. Yeah, I stole that from Brian Kissinger. So. Oh, man, He's Brian Kissinger. What an amazing man. Yeah. So, Dave, uh, what do you have going on? Um, it's busy uh, for Advent and everything like that. Yeah. We, um, we're we not doing a mission this year for Advent, but we are doing just like one night thing. And so that'll be good. And things are always kind of crazy at this time of year anyways, just because everybody's trying to do stuff right now. And I kind of like don't want to compete with all the other organizations. So yeah. Yeah. so I like that. But uh, but I'm starting a book for Lent. So that's uh, that's exciting. Ooh, and uh, Parish yeah. Mission with Dave. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Nice. Yeah. Actually, come see me in the in the spring. I have a bunch of dates. If you look at the sinnersguide.com, my calendar's there. Um, but I also have dates open, so give me a call if you're interested. I always feel I always feel awkward going to your website because I'm I like, know if I'm I if know. I don't belong to the household of sinners. You know, no, you do, ooh, you do, no. you do belong. You belong more than anyone. <laughs> you're the president. Yeah, but you're it is awkward giving out my email because <laughs> yeah. it's DaveVV at the sinnersguide.com. People are always like, "What is that?" You know, so <laughs> well, I guide sinners uh, into the cool. way of sin. Yeah, cool. so no, I uh, I'm I'm super excited about this uh, particular episode because so what we've been doing for those of you just joining us is this is the third of three Advent uh, like a like a retreat on repentance uh, with your old buddies here at Every Knee Shall Bow because oftentimes we don't understand what Christ offers us if we don't see what sin does to us and so repentance is a beautiful opportunity for us to enter in or advent is an opportunity for us to enter into the beautiful gift of repentance and so that's what we want to do just kind of break it open yeah this is awesome we we, we were we missed you last week for our uh for our episode when you were sick and i got to make your name last week <laughs> so uh but but yeah so last week we talked about metanoia and and repentance from the scriptural foundations and we talked about Zacchaeus right as like kind of like a a perfect story of what repentance is like in the gospels and everything and uh so yeah so this will we'll, we'll weave this in perfectly this week it's going to be awesome yeah, and I wanted to kind of start this off with a brief quote from the Catechism. Um, in paragraph 1438, it says, The seasons and days of penance in the course of the liturgical year. And then in parentheses, it says, Lent and each Friday in memory of the death of the Lord right. are intense moments of the church's penitential practice. These times are particularly appropriate for spiritual exercises, penitential liturgies, pilgrimages as signs of penance, not tourism, voluntary self-denial, such as fasting and almsgiving, and fraternal sharing, charitable and missionary works. Now, let's look at that just really briefly. Keeping Friday penitential, right, has a bit, Bishop Barron brought this up one day where he said he feels like one of the great missteps of the post-Vatican II church was the softening of the Lent, of the uh, the Friday penance for Catholics all over the world. Wow. That was a communal penance. Yeah, it can be super, um, you know, people doing it with, with like, a, you know, a, a half heart. But it also united us in this common thing to the point where G.K. Chesterton wrote this famous detective um, right. novel. Right. And Father Brown finds out who the villain is and the villain is posing as a priest. And the reason why he knows is they get off this train and the priest orders like, you know, a ham sandwich at a cafe. And he's like, he's not a priest. It's Friday, you know. <laughs> and so it's things like that that um, we are trying to bring back as a family. So um, so what do you do? I'm, I'm interested because I'm bad. I'm I, Fridays I've let go. Like we eat meat on Fridays. Yeah. But so I, I, I got to stop that, though. Everyone in the Code of Canon Law, it even talks about this. It says you should still give up meat on Friday. 
And if you can't, because of basically it's like because of poverty, if right. the only time you're going to be able to eat in a week is, okay. you know, okay. a piece of meat and you get it on a Friday, the church is like, don't starve because right. of this discipline. However, for those of us who aren't on starvation uh, levels, right. we should absolutely refrain from eating meat on Friday. And doing other signs of of of, of penance, and yeah. just as a total side note, you know, this is kind of like a Pope Francis moment, you know, Pope Francis, Mister Environmentalist. Um, people talk about like, you know, to be healthier in your diet, to do all of these things. I was listening to this podcast. Venerable Fulton Sheen has this great line where he says, "When the church puts things down, the culture picks it up." We put we stop praying the rosary. The hippies wear it around their neck. Right, right. And I feel like that's what's happening with fasting. Like everything oh, is totally, intermittent fasting totally, and all this totally. stuff. And um, so one of the things that uh, I heard on a podcast was they were advocating everyone in the United States, which is the second biggest meat eater country in the world, to give up meat one day a week. And I was like, well, I know the perfect day for that. Yeah, right. Uh, oh, how funny. Yeah, yeah that, that is funny. And it, it is, it's kind of funny, like, um, I mean, this is totally an aside topic, but like how, many, how much of like success literature is out right now and how mon- monastic it is. Yeah. Like I feel like saying like the miracle morning, like people, there've been books written about that for a thousand years, yeah. you know, like that, that aren't about business success. It's just about like, you know. Like, yeah. I mean, how funny that you say, I just listened to, I've never heard of it. And I just listened to an interview with the author last week when I was sick and I couldn't move out of bed. I was just going through podcasts yeah. and having them play as I would, you know, in between runs to the John. Um, yeah. But the guy said, uh, He's like, you know, you have these like set things that you do every morning. They become right. rituals. Right. And right. you wake up. And he's like, you could do your morning meditation, mindfulness, or as many of my Christian listeners do, prayer. And I'm like, good Lord. Yeah. That's my first thought. Oh, man, that's so funny. So piggybacking off of this, what do we mean when we talk of repentance and interior penance? So just to clarify, when the Catholic Church talks about repentance or penance, what they first mean is interior penance. Interior penance are, are, is the intense sorrow of your heart, number one, and number two, a radical reorientation of your life, right? You can look at your life and you can say, yeah, things really do have to change. You don't really have repentance if the dog returns to his vomit time after time, as right. our blessed Lord said, right? You can't say like, you know, just to use the analogy of alcoholism, right? You can't say, I really want to stop drinking if you keep spending your social engagements in a bar. Right. Right. And you also can't do this. So I had a friend who was an alcoholic, and we kept meeting up at bars, and he would show up. And I said to my other friends, like, guys, we need to find another place. And one of their responses, and I'll chalk it up to immaturity, was, no, he's an adult. He should be able to restrain himself or know not to come. And I said, so we destroy his social life? Or we destroy his soul with alcohol. Those are the options as friends we're giving him. So me and my wife did a basically a penitential practice of we went without alcohol for six months. So and we had zero, you know, we were a total dry house. So yeah. that if he ever just popped in, he right. would feel totally comfortable. You yeah. know, and so um, it's things like that. The radical reorientation of your life. Look at your major sins. Right, if you struggle with ongoing repeated uh, mortal sin habitual mortal sin then you need to start looking at how do i reorient but then right. there are other forms of penance in the christian life that it starts with the interior if it doesn't start there it's fake 
Okay. But then it blossoms outward into the classical three that we always talk about during Lent. But we can also, especially with things like Giving Tuesday, talk about here during Advent, which is fasting, prayer, and almsgiving. Yeah. And those are the three, you know, they they directly combat what we call the threefold concupiscence, right? The mm-hmm. threefold concupiscence. That is, it's a reflect of the fall. That's why the church gives those things, because they are the perfect kind of, almost in a sense, remedy to combating that threefold concupiscence, uh, pride of life, lust of the flesh, and lust of the eyes, right? Or greed, you know, or envy. Um, and and it's, it's uh, like, those are perfect ways to like, kind of, Put them into your everyday life to try and continually fight. This is where, like, you hear about the desert fathers going out into the desert to, like, fight the devil. Well, oftentimes when they would say the devil, they were talking about that they were going out to fight their concupiscence, right? They were going out to fight, uh, you know, what the, the effects of the fall. And that's part of our life. And this is exactly what penance is, right? It's a... A direct battle against the the effects of the fall, so that we can be freed of those effects and be more free to embrace God more fully. Yeah. So think about what Dave just said. Now listen to this passage from First John chapter two: Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in him. Right. So think about the monks confronting this reality and fugo mundi, flee the world, going out into the desert for all that is in the world. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father, but is of the world. And the world passes away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So you could see that as being like one of those flagship verses for monks and nuns to flee into the desert to begin addressing their false loves. And the same is true for our penitential seasons as we bring and as we confront this stuff in our heart, right? We're looking at the human heart that is heavy and weighed down by all these false desires. And we're saying, okay, God, I want a new heart. And Jesus is that model of what it means to have a new heart. So first it starts on the inside, right? Cleanse the inside of the cup, then the outside. But then what we need to do is it has to go to the outside. It's just like when we talk about evangelization and people are like, well, it's how I live my life. That's where it starts. And then it has to become incarnate through words and deeds, right? You can't just say, well, I have Jesus in my heart. You know, that's like, uh, it reminds me of James chapter two. All right, you demonstrate your faith to me without works, and I'll demonstrate it with my works, right? So alongside those radical purifications, right, alongside those forms of penance, alongside baptism and martyrdom and all of that stuff, um, the the Catechism of the Catholic Church lists a handful of things that I'm gonna I'm gonna just touch upon: effort at reconciliation with one's neighbor, tears of repentance, concern for the salvation of one's neighbor, the intercession of the saints, and the practice of charity, which covers a multitude of sins. So start to think about that when we frame this whole conversation about exterior forms of penance. Right, and these exterior forms of penance should be seen as. Uh, just a way, a very easy way to surrender to what God is doing interiorly, right? That God is doing is bringing about this interior conversion, giving you a new heart. These exterior forms of penance would be a just a method of surrendering to that work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. It's not something I, you know. We have to get away from this idea of of that that penance is a hundred percent about paying for sin. Yeah, right. Stupid. Penance is yeah. not a hundred percent about paying for sin. 
It's about being more freed to, to surrender to what God is doing in your life. And that's like, I think, you know, I think that's like a big problem. I, I remember, you know, at my parish, uh, the parish I was at before, uh, people were filling out these evaluations and I had been there like six years. So I was really disappointed when I got this evaluation because this person had come to a lot of my things. And, and uh, she had said like, we need to stop talking about this kind of thing and start talking about the way that people pay for their sin and earn heaven. It's like you, you couldn't say a more un-Catholic thing to say, but for the most part, people do believe that. A lot of people in the church and outside the church especially believe that that's what Catholics teach. That's not what we're saying today. What we're talking, we're giving you methods that are going to help you to surrender to, to the penitence that God is bringing about in your contrite heart. Yeah, and I want to piggyback right off of this. Um, when you look in the Catechism of the Catholic Church on the Sacrament of Reconciliation, um, it talks about, uh, in particular, what we say, the acts of the penitent. What do we bring as sinners to the sacrament? And in the very last part, so it's you bring your sorrow, you bring your sins, and you bring your satisfaction. Right. And satisfaction was what a lot of Protestants will get hung up on, like, oh, right. if Christ paid for your sin, why are you doing that? Right. And that's not the point. The point is the interior remedy of the sins that you're concupiscent for, right, that you desire. And so... If you think what Dave just said smacks of a post-Vatican II church or whatever, here's a sick quote from the Council of Trent, which I love and read. Oh, yeah, the, me too. I read the decrees of Trent all the time. I love me it. Too. Me um, too. The satisfaction that we make for our sins, however, is not so much ours as though it were not done through Jesus Christ. We who can do nothing ourselves, as if just by ourselves we can do all things with the cooperation of him who strengthens us, Thus the man thus man has nothing of which to boast but all our boasting is in Christ in whom we make satisfaction by bringing forth and this is the killer quote fruits that befit repentance these fruits have their efficacy from him by him they are offered to the father and through him they are accepted by the father so if you think about that statement from the council of trent our work our penance all of these things are from the grace of Jesus Christ, who is strengthening us within us. And that phrase, the fruit that befits repentance, I think is the number one phrase that Catholics need to like, I don't know, tattoo on our forearms or something. Like, my life has this to got bear... Weird. I know, right? Uh, <laughs> oh, look at this. <laughs> Just imagine all these people doing yeah. like a bicep yeah. curls and being like, oh no, fruit that befits repentance, I forgot. <laughs> But we really do need to see that. We really do need to see, like, how is my life bearing the fruit of repentance? Because I think too often what we want is gimme, gimme, gimme from God. Like, answer my petitions, right. and rarely is it about my repentance. Yeah, and I, I you know, I, I mean, just to reiterate, just to kind of hammer that point down, like, you're never going to earn heaven. You are yeah. never going to pay for your sin. That's not the way this works. That's not what we're saying here. Everything, your, your sin was paid for on the cross, and we unite these things to the cross, right? It's Christ's work in, in us. Um, so so we have to get get that idea out of our head because th then what, what happens is if you base acts of penance, if you base acts of charity on that idea that you can earn heaven or that you can pay for your sin in some sense, uh, we lose the sense of what we call merit, which is a good thing, and we start to do these outward actions and we lose the interior penance. We yeah. lose the interior repentance that is supposed to exist. And that, I mean, that's a big problem in the Catholic Church. There are some extremely religious people who aren't converted. And that's yeah. uh, that's scary, you know? 
And this is where um, I remember one time I gave a presentation on the salvific efficacy of the death of Christ and his resurrection. <laughs> right? That wasn't the Nerds. title. Maybe it was a little. Maybe it was the <laughs> title that I didn't publish, but that's really what it was. Um, but the whole point of it is how the cross of Christ accomplishes our salvation. And so I would make these comments about, like, it is not your love for God that makes God then turn and love you. Rather, what St. Thomas called the love of predilection. It is that God loves us, which in turn makes us capable of loving God. Right. Right. So it's always God's movement first. Always. Right. And this is part of the whole issue with the grace and faith and works and all this stuff. So I was talking about that. Like, you cannot earn heaven. Heaven is what we get in heaven is the is in is being united by the power of the Holy Spirit to the life of the Trinity. Right. How do you, O oh creature, earn the life of the right. Trinity? You right. can't. It can only be given to you. This isn't the limbo of the fathers or something like, <laughs> well, I lived a good enough life. Don't send me to hell. But right. no, no, this is eternal beatitude when you gaze with unveiled eyes upon the glory of God for all eternity. How do you earn that? <laughs> right. So yeah. Now, now as Catholics, we do believe in something called merit, and yeah. merit is a good thing. Now, but merit, you should understand it in a very simplified way as um, that you can increase the amount of charity that your soul is able to hold. Really, right? So, if in heaven, if you're completely filled with lo- the love of God, totally and completely filled, some people are have bigger cups in a sense, right? And merit is what expands our soul to be able to accept that charity of God. Yeah, so in the in the Catholic Church, merit refers in general to the recompense owed by a community or a society for the action of one of its members. So then when we look at it from a divine perspective with regard to God, there's there's no merit any one of us can do on our side. Right. Like between God and us, this catechism says there's an immeasurable inequality. Yeah. Right. So even your very life is a gift. Right. So don't think what you do with your life can right. earn it. But within that perspective, right, God, uh, St. Paul says, you know, become worthy of the gospel of Christ, that God desires from his action us to be actors. From his freedom, he creates us to be free. And so God's action of choosing us allows us to become cooperative with grace. And when we turn that to the idea of penance and repentance, we need to understand things like fasting. What does fasting do? Uh, I don't know if you've ever fasted from like the internet, but I, I know a lot of people who will be like addicted to or you know constantly default position watching Netflix when they come home. You got single people, they come home, right, immediately put on, on the TV or whatever. Or people addicted to watching sports all day or yeah. getting on YouTube. That's certainly not me. <laughs> yeah. um, but the idea is when you go on a fast, it all of a sudden you're like, oh my goodness, like yeah, I really was obsessed with this stuff. Right. And I didn't realize I was. It actually, fasting reprioritizes your relationship to the things you're fasting from. So, for instance, like every Lent, I fast. I would fast from soda, right? And I would find like right before Lent, I'm just consuming soda like crazy. And then after Lent, I'll do the binge thing in the beginning. But then it's like, what? It's reasonable, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're like, what? Why was I like that? Why, right. why did this thing own my life? And you do the same thing with social media. You do a social media fast. All of a sudden, you come back to it, and I, that, that's what I did. And I, I go on Facebook like once a week. And it used to be I would go on it like 20 times a day. And yeah. so fasting helps to restore proper defaults or to point out to you like, hey, man, this was an excess that's now really, really dangerous. Right, 
Right. Yeah, and, and when and when it comes to fasting from food, it it literally is like putting your body on kind of a physical retreat, right? So like yeah. it it creates a longing in you that easily translates into the longing that our heart should feel for God, right? So that's like a really great kind of way to meditate without meditating on on God's desire for you. I remember the best Lent I've ever had to this day was um, I fasted every single day until noon mass, and then I took communion at noon mass, and then afterwards I I would have a, like a small meal. Uh-huh. Communion at noon mass was so it was such a strange phenomenon. I wasn't sure if it was even okay. Like I remember saying to my spiritual director, like I'm getting so much like physical pleasure out of this. Oh wow! Like just yeah, because it would be like I'd be fasting and then just to receive communion. It was it was incredible. It was really an incredible experience. But because I had that longing and I was able to kind of like translate the longing for food into the longing for God. It was it was a neat thing. One of the things that we can do when we talk about interior penance is looking at our heart and looking at how stingy we can be yeah. when it comes to forgiving others. Yeah. And I have been studying forgiveness because, like, especially in this, you know, the Me Too movement and all these things, you have people getting um, their careers destroyed for actions that they did in their past, you know, some 15, 20, 30 years. We okay. see this in the church with um, the sex abuse scandal and all this. And I was just wondering, like, how do we approach forgiveness within these contexts of things that happened years ago and all this stuff? And Because you hear the rhetoric of, like, oh, that was so long ago. It's like, okay, but if they did this thing, it's still a sin that remains. Of how course, do we yeah. approach it? And you have, all, you know, obviously with all things social media, it's 99% junk. But um, you have people who like now everyone is defined by their sin. And so I was I've been kind of on my own trying to figure out a way to help my people at my parish repent. And I found that one of the sticking points was forgiving other people. That they yeah, need to repent course, from everywhere, not just your parish, everywhere. No, I think it's just my parish. No, it's well, I mean maybe <laughs> you. They're having a hard well, time forgiving you. And, and, yeah. Well what yeah, it's just me. Uh no, but what it triggered it was, and I've told the story before, I was in the prison and I was talking about um, forgiveness, and I was talking about our need to repent, and there's a dude, you know, covered in face tattoos, pretty pretty rough dude, and as I'm talking about being sorry for our sins, he's bobbing his head up and down, yeah, 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 and then when I shift to forgive other people their, their sins against me, his face goes, like, pale, and his jaw hangs open, and he's just shaking his head, like, quickly back and forth, no, no, no. And I realized that most of the men in the prison, and I don't know if you know this, but most men in gangs, most men who are in prison for violent offense because they were in gangs, have abusive or absentee fathers, right? right. I mean, there's no, it's not like, yeah, I had a great dad, and then I joined a gang. No, it's I joined a gang because my dad is terrible. I can't have a good father, so I have strong brothers, right? right. And so the, I, I could just imagine this guy, as I started to pray for him, having a, like, how do I forgive my dad? For right. what he did to me or my mom's string of boyfriends and what they did to me or whatever it might be. But um, so I, I've, I've been studying it recently and I was listening to a sermon by a Protestant evangelist on generosity. And he talked about he had a whole thing, right? Because oftentimes when Catholics talk about giving your money or stewardship, 
it tends to focus on giving your time, treasure, and talent. And he did this broader thing where he talked about how do I be generous with my forgiveness? Right. And he said, the reason why we don't forgive, and he was quoting someone else. He said, the reason why we don't forgive, and I love this line, he said, is because A, we remove the, the person who hurt us. We remove them from, uh, from humanity and right. being in the image and likeness of God. We mentally do that. And then ourselves, we remove ourselves from the community of sinners. So we right. remove them from the community of humanity and us from the community of sinners. You say, like, oh, that guy, he's just a liar. So he's not a human person who lied. He's a liar. And what am I? Well, yeah, I've told a bunch of lies before, but I'm not a liar. I had my reasons. Right, right. Right? I and mean, we do this all the time. It's even a oh, psychological yeah. condition. Oh, yeah. I can't remember what the term's called. But we do that all the time. We presume malice. Absolutely. We reduce other people to sin. So he said, so the remedy for forgiveness is to put ourselves back in the positions, right? To realize that that person belongs to the community of humanity, right? right? They are not just their sin. They are a human person who sins. And to realize that I am a sinner in need of Christ's grace. And if I can reflect just for a moment on all the things that God has forgiven me, then that ought to lead me to this radical purification of reconciling with my neighbor, right? That I can actually say, I forgive you because number one, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And number two, you're a human person and I'm not going to reduce you to just your sinfulness. Right. It kind of, you know, th this is this is like the, the the secret to if you are very religious, but you don't feel like an in like an interior contrition. This is yeah. kind of the way to do it is to realize, you know, is to take a look at your life and look at it morally. You know, I, I think when it comes down to it, we we tend to, in this day and age, evaluate the action or presence of the Holy Spirit in every way but the way that Scripture tells us to. So it's like we know where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, okay? So that means that when when we're growing in holiness, we're growing in our moral life, right? And also that the the fruits of the Holy Spirit are there, right? Patience, uh, peace, all, all these beautiful fruits of the Holy Spirit. We tend to use emotion to evaluate how we're doing or... Yeah, Maybe totally. even something extreme, like like almost like mystical experiences or miracles, and and, and sometimes those can cooperate and be a valid um, pres uh, proof of presence of the Holy Spirit. But for the most part, what we have to look at is: Are we sinning less, and are the fruits of the Holy Spirit present in our life? Yeah. Uh. Uh. Boo. Yeah. I. Why, why does this have to be so hard? <laughs> because it's good. Um, yeah. So in paragraph uh, 1435, I love this line. So we're talking about repentance because we all need conversion. We can't work for conversion, which is the task of evangelization, unless we ourselves are on not on unless we ourselves are on the road, right? So uh, this is I haven't I guess this paragraph never stood out to me. Oh, so I Dave, have I've, I have a little post-it note with it on it. Oh, in, you're, it, you're so holy in my office. <laughs> so listen to how it, how the catechism of the Catholic Church describes conversion. Conversion is accomplished in daily life by gestures of reconciliation, by concern for the poor, the exercise and defense of justice and right. Didn't see that one coming. Thanks, Amos chapter five. By the admission of faults to one's brethren. I think that probably is one of the most powerful things oh, we yeah. can do. It's group repentance is powerful. I don't mean a penance service. I mean being with your small group, being with a few right. people, and confessing openly your sins. Right. Fraternal correction, revision of life, 
examination of conscience, spiritual direction, acceptance of suffering, endurance of persecution for the sake of righteousness. That is all how we accomplish conversion. And then it ends with taking up one's cross each day and following Jesus is the surest way of penance, right? So being a disciple means being a penitent, right? Means being one who walks in the way of penance. And so you and I need to realize that conversion is not a one date that we have on our calendar that happened to me years ago before conversion, after conversion. That's when I accepted Jesus Christ in my heart as my personal Lord and Savior. That is your first conversion. But conversion is accomplished in daily life. Wow. You know what? You know what that made me think of when you when when you were reading that. Do you remember? I don't. I don't. I, I know they're still around, but when we were younger, they this was a big thing. The Saint Therese of Lisieux sacrifice beads. Do you remember oh, those? No, I don't. Were you okay? They're beads. It's like ten beads, and you can move them along because she would try and do ten sacrifices a day. And you would try to do that. It, it makes me think of this. Like you could literally just make a list of these things and literally enter into a life of penance that is a deep life of penance by trying to do these things each day. I mean, this is a beautiful and and you know, the catechism is so it's blunt. That is a blunt paragraph. <laughs> Conversion is accomplished in daily life by gestures of, right? I mean, hello, you know, so if you're not converted and you're wondering how, this is how to do it. It's it's definitely not. I mean, it doesn't say anything about hearing an inspiring speaker. It doesn't say anything about going on a on a great retreat or to a conference or something like that. In daily life, it says concern for the poor, exercise in defense of justice. Right? These these things are phys, uh, physical manifestations of 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 what helps your heart to kind of rip it open and surrender to what God wants to do in your life. It, this is awesome. Yeah, and so. Bringing our penitential time, this Gaudete week, right? <laughs> we get to rejoice even in the acts of penance. This is the beautiful thing about Christian. We are not ascetics for the sake of asceticism. Right. We absolutely we, are not. Right. We drive our body and pummel it, as St. Paul says, because we know, number one, we do it out of a greater love, a greater yes, than any right. no our fasting, prayer, and almsgiving can cause. But also we know that there is a spiritual danger of of being too self-recollected. And I don't mean not having self-knowledge. I mean becoming self-obsessed to the point where we confuse a healthy interiority with an unhealthy interiority. Right. Um, and this is where um, we have the source of things like scrupulosity and other things like that. Uh, a friend of mine recently asked me, uh, every time I pray, I hate it. Like, I hate it. I can't right. focus. I think I feel like it's sure. all just a bunch of junk. Sure. I can't, you know, nothing. He said, what do you think I should do? I said, number one, you need to go on a retreat because you're yeah. like, you you just need to recover, right? right? You need to go on a retreat. Right. I said, number two, though, is maybe one of the problem. Number one, stay consistent in your prayer life. But maybe one of the problems is it's you're all bound up within you, right. you know, mental prayer, all this stuff. And that's why things like I, I said, the other thing you can do is go serve the poor. Right. That's what. Yeah, I like that's get exactly out of yourself. Say. Like yep. this is what happens. Do the thing that so many of uh, of our great saints have done, which is like, okay, I'm going to radically reorient my life to serving the poor. I'm going to, you know, we have friends the the Frank brothers, right, and their family. Every Christmas day, when they were growing up, their parents would take them to a soup kitchen for the whole morning. That's awesome. So that they would serve the poor first. Their yeah, and just cool. think about what that says and what of that course. does. 
to raising your kids. And it's no wonder Absolutely. that their twin boys are epically awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, they really yeah. are. They're so handsome. I'm so jealous. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're weird. I'm not our, weird. I'm not weird, man. They, oh, gosh, they're handsome. Uh, our, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> uh, this has been your retreat on, on repentance. I hope that, you know, it's brought some fruit about in your life these last three weeks. And I hope you're feeling ready, you know, to welcome the Christ child and to celebrate what I think is the greatest mystery of our lives. And that's the incarnation of the he who is you know, hidden by eternal light becomes flesh. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful season this year. Um, don't forget, uh, as we continue on with this uh, podcast, we're going to be back to our kind of normal format. So if you have any questions about evangelization or anything like that, email us at eksb at ascensionpress.com. We have a lot of good questions coming up uh, for episodes uh, coming soon and a lot of good guests that are going to be coming up as well. So please email us at eksb at ascensionpress.com and we'll be back in just a minute with your practical takeaways. I'm Jeff Cavins. I wrote The Activated Disciple because I know how easy it is to practice the faith and to study it, but what if we lived our entire lives without doing what we learned? God doesn't just call us to be students. He calls us to be disciples, to look and live like Jesus. If you yearn for a life that moves beyond just studying and believing, if you yearn to become an activated disciple, then this book is for you. The Activated Disciple teaches you how to take your faith to the next level so you can become an instrument for God to transform the world. To order The Activated Disciple, visit ascensionpress.com or Amazon. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to Every Knee Shall Bow. Thanks to our wonderful sponsors over here, at Ascension Press. They have done so many great things in making this podcast a reality. Uh, we also want to remind you, if you could, we have a little call to action. Text EKSB to 33777. Tell you what we're going to do. Me and Dave have some stuff on the horizon that we want to help create and foster and grow every niche about. Your comments, your feedback has been so amazing for this parish that we see greater needs that we can help serve. But we need to know who you are. We need to be in contact with you. We need right. the ability to do a beautiful survey and things like that. So if you text it, I don't, I don't know if you've done this yet, David, but I texted EKSB at 33777. And they have this cute little text message that comes back, and it's perfect for our show. But it gets you to have access to the weekly show notes in an email form and the monthly summary of all the practical takeaways. So I just want to encourage everyone, text EKSB to 33777. Couldn't get a more pious five-digit number than that. Awesome. <laughs> to, to, end our, to end our retreat on repentance, we just have one practical takeaway. Super but simple. It, but it is a doozy. It is a doozy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. One of, one of the things that ca uh, the catechism reference that Gomer, that Gomer mentioned, uh, 1435, one of the things that it said is the admission of faults to one's brethren. What we want you to do is take some time to pray and think about uh, how you can do that in a in a very explicit and real way. Whoever your brethren are, who are the people who are calling you on? It could be a spouse, it could be a small group, it could be uh, a community that you have. 
But this is what we want you to pray about is think about the idea of, you know, sharing what you have to do. I, I can't tell you how many times in a small group someone said um, in front of me, I, I you know, I, I just feel like I don't know. I never wanted to share this with anyone, but I feel like I have to tell someone and I've been struggling with this. I can't tell you how many times all of the people in the group have turned around and said, you know what? I am too. I'm so glad you said something. This is a beautiful thing, right? Don't ever keep secrets with the devil. And that's what we're trying to say here is that admit your faults out, right? This is this is an undoing of original sin, right? What happens with original sin? They hide themselves. What are you doing? You're kind of exposing yourselves so that God can heal you. And this is, it's hard. I know it's difficult. I'm going to tell my faults to Gomer. I already know Gomer's faults, but, uh, but I know that uh, it will be fruitful for you. So in a prayerful way, take some time to think about it and think how you're going to fulfill this practical takeaway. And I want to frame it around evangelization. In the 1800s, there were groups of uh, people dedicated to what now is known as the Great Awakening. And within the Great Awakening, there was um, these groups that were trying to foster massive conversion in the UK and in the US. And one of the things that they did was there would be groups of like eight people and they would meet in each other's homes and they would pray for hours. And one of the things that was a part of their prayer together was they would openly confess their sins to one another and, uh, and repent to one another. They would, the admission of faults to one's brethren. And in reading one of their, um, their memoirs of that time, they said the source of our Christian community lied in the confession of our faults to one another. And um, because, you know, number one, it's so humbling, right? It's, it's humiliating is what it is. And um, I was reminded when I was listening to that of the practice of confession in the early church was public it was, confession. It was public, yep. And the re- one of the reasons why the good old Irish made it private was because, well, there was a place of, of abuse. Like if you heard that someone right. committed adultery, you could then use that against them, and maybe they wouldn't turn to the sacrament of reconciliation. So they made it private. But um, there are even religious orders that you stand yep. in front of and you, yep. you say your faults, and they do a public form of confession. So when we start to see this, there is so much power um, – in the idea of the public disclosure of our sins. And it's not about the motivation that shame gives us. It is no. truly about the freedom that confession brings. It is Confession is good for the soul, right? And so, uh, yeah, I can't encourage this enough. One day a guy said, you know, we're all in this group and we're all keeping it nice and, you know, oh, I'm praying, you know, oh, I need more prayer. Oh, I need more patience at home. I need more this. I need more that. And this guy said, I'm struggling with pornography. And you could feel like, and then all the tension went out of the room. And then every guy there admitted it for the most part, except for one. And it was a radical moment of transformation for that whole group. So uh, Derek Webb, former Christian and former Christian artist said, uh, one of the greatest things that could ever happen to us is our sins be revealed on the five o'clock news. Right. And yeah, no more hiding. Don't keep secrets with the devil. Never heard that. That's great. That's one of my long-standing principles, Gomer. Oh, oh. This is, where this have has I been? been our, <laughs> this has been our three-week uh, repentance retreat. I hope you were blessed as we were. Uh, please keep tuning in. We'll we'll talk to you next week. God bless you all. Adios. Adios.